We are traveling through the book of Mark, as you know, and it's just one scene after another. The thing that you notice about Mark's gospel, it is fast moving. It's like you move from one situation to another. And the thing I like about it, though, is it seems like every scene, kind of like a movie, has all of these various details, but it usually has a very specific point. Last week, we looked at this very famous passage where Jesus sends his disciples uh, into a boat on the Sea of Galilee back to where they had come from. And while they're there, they encounter this storm. Now, it wasn't a massive storm like they had seen before. It was a very typical storm at night. And what it shares with us is that as the disciples were rowing all night, the headwind was so strong, it was pushing them back. And so after seven hours or so of rowing, they still were only halfway through the Sea of Galilee. Their strength was depleted. They were discouraged. They didn't know what to do. And at that moment, Jesus decides this is a great time to practice water walking. And so he walks out to them on the water. That's right. Jesus walked physically, supernaturally on the water. And the point that he's trying to make to them, and and really effectively so, that he's already made, but he's doing it again and again for their sake, is that I am the son of the living God. Jesus is not just a man, nor is he the Messiah they thought he was. He is the Messiah, but he is more than their version of the Messiah. He is God the Son. And that was very clear to them as they see him standing on the stormy sea. Jesus gets into the boat and they make their way into this area. It's a land called Gennesaret. It's a little bit southwest of Capernaum, which is their home base. And when they land there, it says they moor to shore and, and all of the people begin to recognize them. They travel throughout Galilee and they find themselves preaching and ministering, delivering people of demons, healing the sick. And it even gives us detail that people were going to get their mothers and brothers and cousins and family members. They were bringing them on pallets because Jesus was touching people. And as they touched even the edge of his cloak, they were getting healed. Now, that's just a powerful detail, as we can imagine, um, what it was like to live in the time of Christ. It was supernatural and nothing less. And this is literally where we pick up the story that we're going to be reading today. Mark chapter 7, verse 1 through 23. It's a lot of Bible today, which is great, but we're going to have to breathe a couple times as we read the passage. So here it goes. Mark 7, verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? And he said to them, rightly Did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of man. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. Come on, mothers. There it is. Tying this message in, Mother's Day message. And he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. Uh, Moving right along here. But you say, uh, 
making a connection. Um, there's no applicational point out of that particular passage. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that will help you is Corbin, that is to say, given to God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. After he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, listen to me, all you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him. It goes into him, and the things which proceed out of the man are that which defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he left the crowd and he entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated? Thus he declared all foods are clean. And he was saying that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. We're looking at this topic that I'm bringing up to you today called toxic religion. And the word religion is used to define and describe a lot of things in our world. We hear it quite a bit. We might even use it at times. But usually in Christian circles, the word religion has sort of a negative connotation. And you may pick that up and you might use it that way as well. We hear people say things like, I am committed to relationship with Jesus, not religion. Have you ever heard that word, that phrase before? That's actually the tagline of Northwest Church that goes all the way back to 1980. Back in the 80s, it was very popular to say, I'm, I am in relationship with D Jesus. I'm not committed to a, a religion. That was very popular for people to say that back then. And we sort of kept it as a tagline for 40, uh, 40 some odd years. But it seems to have sort of a, a negative connotation. However, the Bible does actually bring up that the word religion is not bad in and of itself. It tells us in James chapter one that there is such a thing as good religion. And good religion is described as taking care of widows and orphans and to keeping oneself unspotted or un, unblemished from the world, that we're not participating in the things of the world the same way. However, most of the time, what we're talking about when we say religion is we're describing an adherence to a set of rules that are devoid of relationship with God and heartfelt devotion toward His Word and also the intentions of His Word. But why do we say religion with negative connotation? Now, part of the reason why we do that is because human beings are really good at building systems and structures that go beyond what God's word has said. We're just great at this. And it's really something that bears out in history. Have you ever recognized when you read history or church history or even modern day diversity of church it seems to me that we build structures or scaffolding in sort of a, a religious way to kind of maybe appease God or prove to God that we're, we love him or try to earn God's favor or something like this. And, and I think a lot of people are very sincere. They're just trying to do what they think the Bible says, but it's not hard to go beyond what scripture actually commands. And that is what we're looking at today, toxic religion. When I say toxic, I mean harmful. I mean hurtful. If I asked everybody in the room today, have you been a part of a religious environment, a Christian environment that has hurt you? 
Have you had a, a parent or a friend or a pastor or been a part of a church or something like this that actually has caused some form of harm to you? And I'm not asking for a show of hands, but if I, if I did, I bet you half of us would raise our hand and I, I would have my hand up as well. Why? Because we build systems and structures in a way that can easily go beyond what Jesus intended. And here's what I want to tell you today is that Jesus confronted that in the Pharisees and he confronts that in us today, wherever it might be. Just because we're reading about it 2,000 years ago does not mean we don't have our own forms of that around today. And I hope that even though this might feel like we're evaluating the Pharisees and, and really with the applicational point, like don't be like the Pharisees, that's really not the point. The point is, is that we draw our hearts closer to Jesus and what the word actually tells us. And I want to frame up the rest of our time together in a couple points using this idea of toxic religion as, as the way in which we, we look at the scripture. And the first point is this, toxic religion adds to the Bible. Verse one, the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him and they had come from Jerusalem and had seen him. Some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands. Everybody say impure. impure. That's an important word here impure hands. That is unwashed. And then Mark gives details. You'll see a parenthesis, and that's him explaining why this is an important focus or emphasis. He says, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat their bread with impure hands? And he said to them, this is Jesus confronting their religious perspective, which goes beyond the word. He says, rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men, neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men instead. Verse 1 says, Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem. What this means is these are not the same Pharisees that we've been introduced to in Mark 2 and 3. Those were local. Uh, Jerusalem is about 90 miles away. So these are like the big guns from the big city. And they have traveled here specifically to confront Jesus because word of mouth has spread. The Pharisees do not agree with Jesus. They don't agree with his words. They think he's a blasphemer. They think he's a lawbreaker. They do not agree with his choice of company. He hangs out with sinners and he even eats with them would be their narrative. They don't agree with the disciples that he chose. They're not qualified. They're not the people that we would choose to be a part of our discipleship gathering. They don't like his discipling methods. They don't believe that he practices the Sabbath appropriately. And that was a massive deal to them, which we looked at a few uh, months ago. But in this passage, what we're dealing with specifically is Jesus's confrontation to what is toxic in the Pharisees. And that is they are equating man's tradition with God's law. They are making their oral law and their oral traditions the same on, on the same level as God's clear commands. And so here's the situation. The Pharisees, are in, uh, the Pharisees invite Jesus to their home to eat with them. And we know that from Luke's gospel version of this, actually. And so as he's sitting there, they observe that his disciples, some of them, don't wash their hands. 
and, and they just go ahead and eat. And so they ask him that question, which we just read, like, why are they not washing their hands? And they use this term impure. Now, again, to a Pharisee, you have to understand impure. They don't mean this in hygiene. They mean that if you don't wash your hands, your hands are literally impure because of what you've touched or who you've touched or who you've been around. So you are impure. In other words, you're not presenting yourself to God in the right way. You're not practicing life in a way where you're pure, meaning you're not right before God in what you're doing. That's how far they were going in this. Now, they got the ceremonial and ritual washings and cleansings from the Old Testament, but this is not one of them. You cannot find any law or instruction in the Old Testament that says specifically you need to wash your hands before a meal. That was their Jewish tradition. There are many rituals, cleansing rituals, and instruction for things like priests were required to wash before offering sacrifices. That's Exodus 30. A leper who had been healed was required to bathe as a part of a cleansing ritual. That's Leviticus 14. Any person who had touched anything considered unclean was instructed to bathe. That's Leviticus 17. And we all, they all had to do this. Worshippers, when they came to the temple to offer their sacrifice and their temple shekel at least once a year, they had to visit the mikvah. They had to cleanse themselves. It was a way of them purifying themselves and being right before God before they presented an offering. That was something that you have instructions for in the Old Testament. But what we do not have is you need to wash your hands nice and clean before you eat a meal. Now, a lot of us practice that for hygiene. Go ahead and say amen if it's your practice. And moms, we appreciate how often you ask your children, did you wash your hands? Did you wash your hands? I just want to know if you washed your hands. And you might ask that today. Some of you do that with great intentionality, and we appreciate that. But that's a hygiene issue, not being pure or right before God. I want to tell you today, Jesus didn't have a problem with traditions. There's nothing wrong with them having this tradition, but there is something wrong with them equating their tradition with God's law, and that is exactly what they did. When they implied your disciples are impure and they have impure hands, they are implying that the disciples were not right with God. And this is what's toxic. When we add our traditions and our preferred principles to the Bible, it causes great harm. And here's how I would describe it. This is what it looks like when we go beyond the boundaries of Scripture. We become judgmental. It causes division between us and other Christians. It breeds a type of legalism, a sort of pecking order. I'm more spiritual than you. And it promotes pride before people and arrogance before God. I want to say that again. It promotes pride before people, but arrogance before God. I want to show you a picture to illustrate this type of arrogance. Now, mothers, there you go. Happy Mother's Day. Amen. Uh, this is uh, Thomas Kincaid's painting called Streams of Living Water. Now, I want to tell you, I'm not the biggest fan of Thomas Kincaid. I do think, though, and let's agree, this is pretty fantastic, even if it's not your flavor. Like, even if this isn't, like, your go-to artist, like, that's still really hard to do. And so we sort of look at this and we think, man, that's, that's incredible. You may not have this on your mantle at home. That's fine. Some of you really do like Thomas Kincaid. He's a very popular Christian artist. And, uh, and I think this is probably one of his best. I don't know why. I just feel like if, if I had a church out in the country, I'd want there to be a stream because we could go fishing right after the service, right? And then we would just bring in our fish to connect after service and we'd fillet it up and have fish sandwiches. It'd be great. But that is, we live in Federal Way. That is not the reality, okay, ever, all right? <laughs> but we can go to the store and buy fish. That's true. 
But it'd be like this. I, w- I want to I illustrate this. If I were to tell you, okay, I am in the category, as far as artists go, I'm more like in the stick figure category. Is anybody else with me? Go ahead. All right. Yeah, God's gathering us together. So if I, knowing that I'm a stick figure artist, meaning that I don't know what I'm doing and, uh, and I have no, I'm not an artist at all. If I were to look at this and go, you know what? I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty good, but I think I can make this better. You know, and so what I think is I think we need, uh, see, look, is there, I can't even tell if there's a cross there. So I want like a big like LED cross up there. I want a big LED cross. And uh, I also want like some cars because how do people get to church? I mean, that's just not even in there. Like we're, you know, so I'd want some cars there. I'd want some animals. Uh, there's no animals. I mean, I grew up on Warner Brothers. You got to have some animals in a picture like this. And uh, there you go. Yeah. Just... I guess powerful. It, it just, and make it pink because it's Mother's Day. Why not? Just put a little flare as you glare. Just do it. It's, right, it's awesome. And, uh, you know, look, that's just, isn't that better? Yeah. <laughs> a little conflict in the room. Actually, I preached last night and uh, this wasn't in there. And somebody in the back did this last night and, and it showed it this morning's service. I didn't even know. I was like, I look up there and there's these We have some literal people at Northwest Church, that's what, and they're in the back working hard. If I were to tell you that I can improve on Thomas Kincaid's artwork, and uh, this is what it looks like, here's what happens, is that the more that we put into this scenario, the more it becomes something other than what it was. Okay, so there's just this profound arrogance for me to look at that and go, I could make this better. And you know, that's what it's like when we add to the Bible. It's suggesting that God, the creator, that we need to add to his word in a way where we make it more clear and more specific and more applicable and more tolerable. When we add to the Bible, we end up harming people because we move away from what the author originally intended. And let's not forget, we're talking about God's words. We're not talking about your kids or your mom, your dad, your friends, or some author out there. We're talking about God's holy word. And what happens is we move away from what we would call the sufficiency of scripture, that we literally believe in the Bible, the word of the living God. And if we move away from the sufficiency of scripture, what we are in fact saying is subjective truth, subjective truth, my truth is more important than the truth. And we do that in, in many different ways. And this is what we think or believe the Pharisees are doing. Did you know that we still do that today? I mean, I don't know that you'd ever go to a church and they would say, why did you not wash your hands? You're impure before God. I don't think I've ever met a church where that's the case. That was sort of a a Jewish contextual issue 2,000 years ago. But we have our own hand-washing, toxic, religious traditions that we have above the Word of God. Did you know that we have some of that today? You sure? We do. And so what, what are those, Pastor Ben? What are you talking about? And I'm so glad you asked today. Um, what about, what about alcohol? What does the Bible say about alcohol? People divide over, you know, Christians divide over this issue. Now, first of all, I want you to take a breath. Sometimes people start to get triggered when you just even bring it up. But let's just be honest. Alcohol is one of those issues that can be very dangerous. 
We have a lot of deaths as a result of alcohol, drunk driving, alcoholism. In this room, I bet you we have a lot of pain attached to the issue of alcohol. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We've had alcoholism throughout my family, and so it's a very painful thing for a lot of us. For some of us, though, it's really not. It doesn't have any pain attached to it whatsoever. But what does the Bible say about it? Well, the Bible's real clear in Ephesians 5 and about seven passages in Proverbs. It says, do not be drunk, intoxicated. That's what it says, and that's exactly what it means. But some take this to mean that a good Christian cannot drink alcohol. And when you believe that, you don't really just use it as a principle for yourself. You use it as an evaluation tool of someone else's spirituality. See, that's exactly what the Pharisees did. We believe in washing hands for ourselves, but what we're going to do is we're going to say that's equal to the Word of God, and so we're going to make sure that we judge everyone else by whether or not they uphold our traditions as though it's exactly how God feels and thinks, even though it's not in His book. And so this is the, this is the thing, is, is that for me, everybody always wants to know, <laughs> do you drink? No, I don't drink. I came out of a rough life, and so I got delivered, and I had that type of deliverance where there was no way I was going back to anything that smelled like what I came from. And so when I first became a Christian, I thought anybody that drank a beer or a glass of wine could not be a good Christian. You just couldn't be. I'm just being straight up with you. That's how I felt. And so I, uh, I was very judgmental about that. And I even remember going to like a pastor's gathering one time, and a couple pastors were drinking a beer, and I was like wow, you can't be a great pastor. Like you're probably subtly getting buzzed and you're probably getting drunk and I bet you have a few too many. See, my mind started to go to places that I could not know and and make me feel uncomfortable even telling you, but that's literally where I was at. Now, I teach people wisdom principles from the scripture. For example, I teach people that you need to drink responsibly if you choose to do that. Like you need to know who you're around. You don't want to cause people to stumble. Romans chapter 14, there are biblical principles. We call that wisdom. Paul was trying to help the church in wisdom. That if you drink responsibly, number one, don't get drunk. That's the command. Number two, do something in wisdom, moderation, and responsibly. And so I always tell people, like if if they're um, on our staff or if they're people I'm discipling, I'm like, do not drink a beer and take a picture of it and throw it on your social media. We live in a culture of excess. And whether you like it or not, that's just telling people, go for it. I mean, that's my view. That's how I I see it personally. And so I steward my life in a certain way. You know, there's a lot of things like that that I don't do. But listen, we divide over this and we look down on people. Let me me ask you a question because I don't think some of you are convinced. You don't even like me bringing it up. All right, fine. I can feel it. This is a religion's manifesting. All right. Good religion, taking care of widows, orphans, and keeping yourself unblemished from the world. Toxic religion is where we add to God's word. You with me? Jesus changed water into? Okay, somebody didn't want to answer. Okay. I got another question for you. Did Jesus drink wine? You should have heard the Saturday night. They didn't want to answer. I said, did Jesus turn water into wine? And it was like, I'm not telling you to drink. In fact, most of you shouldn't. That's my encouragement to you. I'm just saying we go really far with this type of stuff. Okay, what about tattoos? Let's, let's move on, Ben. Uh, people ask me about tattoos. They say, Pastor Ben, what do you think? And I say, it doesn't matter what I think. What does the Bible say? Great, great question. 
Leviticus 19.28. We always go back to the Leviticus. This is where Moses, God's giving Moses all of these various laws, social customs. They're going into a new land and they're establishing a society. And so he's telling them, I don't want you to be like the Canaanites. I don't want you to practice their customs. I don't want you to pay homage to their idols. There are a lot of things that they do to give honor to idolatry and false god worship. And so Leviticus 19.28 says, you shall not make any cuts in your body for the dead, nor make any tattoo marks on yourself. I am the Lord. Now, this is the way we translate it, but if you read other translations, the connection is very clear, the context. It means don't cut yourself or tattoo yourself for the dead. It's a specific reference because it was a way that they would pay homage to and worship these gods in reference to those that were dead or dying. It was a, it was a form of worship for them. It, it wasn't like, they didn't have tattoo guns, okay? When they tattooed, it would, it would cut their skin very seriously. And so it was the same as cutting your skin. So people will bring these scriptures up and they're like, see, the Bible says don't get tattoos. And I'm like, the Bible does not say that. That's not, that's not the context of that passage, literally at all. And if we read the Bible that way, friends, I'm telling you, we got a lot more problems than that. But for a long time, I've been in churches, and, um, and again, I want you to know, I have an aversion to tattoos, okay? I am, I am literally telling you all of my religious stuff inside my heart. I have done everything I possibly can, Bridget and I, to stop or control our little humans from getting any type of tattoo mark on their body. And yet one of them has decided that they would get enough for all of us. So it just worked against us, you know. They went to the military and, and that's what a lot of guys do when they, they came back like different, you know. So, and so anyways, like, it's, listen, it's, there's no command in the Bible, but is there a wisdom principle? Do I encourage people, like, when they ask me, like, hey, you should probably think about it. I wouldn't get a skull on your back. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the face tattoos thing's kind of weird. You know, you might have a job interview and not get a job as a result of it. I mean, there's just a lot of, like, thoughts you might want to walk through when you're putting something permanent on your body. I always tell people, get a, get a fake tattoo. See how it goes. Just see how you like it. You know, I don't know. Okay. Like you want a big tiger on your back. I don't, I don't know. Some of you guys got some mistakes on your body right now and your skin wrinkles over time. Isn't that right? Like, you know, some of you got your mother on your back. Like, I love mom, you know, I don't, you know what? I'm not going to control you. I don't, my, my point is, is like, we divide over this type of stuff. We have our traditional thoughts. I think that good Christians don't do X, Y, and Z. That, that's the, God does not need his arbitrator. He does not need us to decide for other people and use it as a judgmental piece or an evaluation tool for other people's spirituality. Other people's spirituality should be judged by their spirituality. Do they love God? Do they love people? Can you tell? Is it evidential in their life? That's very important, right? Well, what about what we wear? Have you ever heard like, put on your Sunday best? Here at Northwest Church, we don't care. Here's our policy, wear clothes. <laughs> it's not the Garden of Eden, people. You know what I'm saying? Fully clothed people is what we require. Like no shirt, no shoes, no service. We will close our service down if we have to. We will... We will cut that out. That's, but you know, I mean, I, I just want you, I'm just so glad we come together. You understand what I'm saying? I, 
Here's the deal, though. I love ironing. I clean my shoes. I, I mean, if you feel like, oh, those are brand new shoes. No, they're like five years old, but I clean them, you know. So, and I really do that. If I disciple you, I'm going to teach you how to iron. It's just what's going to happen. It's just going to happen. I really believe in ironing, you know, not like I believe in the Lord, but the Bible says in Ephesians 5 that Jesus is coming back from a church without spot or wrinkle. And so I really feel that that's a biblical thing. It's like in the Bible, guys, you know, you should read it. It'll bless you. You understand? So, but I don't, here's the thing, like, do I think there's wisdom to being presentable? Sure. But once again, like, this is the type of stuff that we beat people over the head with. Not you and I, but this happens all over the place. And so I'll come into any place and I'll honor what they do because I, I just want to bless them and that's my heart. But I don't believe that it makes me more spiritual. I don't believe that God's more happy. I don't believe that I can please the Lord. And can we just discard those ideas? Like if I put on a blazer today, like he's more pleased, like it just doesn't matter. It's our heart. And that's what Jesus is getting at in the passage. It's all about the heart. It's not about the externals. It's about the heart. I could go on. You don't want me to. I won't. Come on. The second point is toxic religion corrupts the follower. We're talking about those that adhere to all of these extra biblical principles. He was also saying to them, verse 9, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he who speaks evil of your father and mother is to be put to death. You say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever I have, that will be helped to you is Corbin. That is to say, it's a pledge or it's given to God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Thus, you invalidate the word of God by your tradition, if you have, uh, which you have handed down and you do many things. He calls them hypocrites. He says, you guys are actors, you're imposters, you're fakes. That's what you are. You don't even follow the same rules that you're trying to put on to other people. And he goes, you know what? You guys try to claim all of this stuff is important for other people, but you deny the fifth commandment, which is to honor your father and your mother. He goes, let me give you an example. I mean, isn't that so fitting on Mother's Day? He said, here's a really great example, is that you have all these possessions and you have some finances. And part of honoring your parents would be to take care of them if they were in need financially. That's honor. It's not just saying nice things. It's caring for them. And so if you have the ability to help them, here's what you're teaching people to do. Claim it as Corbin. Corbin means it's a pledge to God that when I die, all of this goes to the temple. But the loophole was that if I claim it as Corbin, I can still use it today in any way that I see fit because I've set it aside for God's purposes. So anything that I feel is God's purposes today and then also when I die I can use it for that. But if somebody is in need in my family, I say, I'm sorry, I don't have anything for you. And Jesus is calling them out on their hypocrisy. See what you're really like? Jesus is saying this, see what you're really like? You're corrupted. And what this does when we begin to add to the Bible and develop this, sca develop this scaffolding of religion that we ourselves cannot abide by, nor can we please God through, when we do that, what we end up doing is get we get deceived. We get deceived. We can't even see the real word of God in the midst of that. We think we can, but we're actually not able to do that. It corrupts the follower. And the third and the final point is this. Toxic religion hinders the true seeker. And maybe this is kind of the scariest part. Maybe this is the scariest part. Look what he says in verse 14. After he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, listen to me, 
all of you and understand there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him, but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. Jesus makes it clear that it's not from the outside that we become defiled. It's what's already on the inside. I I want us to hear that today. He's talking about evil that has already corrupted us, that these evil thoughts and intentions and actions come out of us from what's already within us. He wants them to understand it. And then the disciples don't get it. And so they ask Jesus, like, what do you mean if you're saying that the Pharisees can't even live right before you, how do we even have a chance? So they say, please explain this to us. And he goes, do you not get it? Are you still confused? And so he reiterates the principle that evil is stored up in the heart. And he gives this list. He said, this is the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Let me go ahead and make it clear. And it's from the Ten Commandments, most of these are. He says, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, deeds of coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from a wicked heart. That's what he's talking about. Did you know that today? All of this comes from this place within. Stop blaming it on the stuff that's outside. You can keep trying to please God by all the things that you do on the outside, but the fact is your heart is still corrupted, and that's what he's talking about. You know what he's doing? He's setting them up for their need for the gospel. He's showing them that literally your best day is filthy rags before a holy God. He leaves them on a cliffhanger. He doesn't even share with them the hope at this point. He just wants them to know that your righteousness is as filthy rags. I want to remind you today, the gospel is so provocative. The gospel is such a provocative message because we're telling people that think they're okay. We're telling a lot of people that think they're good that's what, we, that's what we do in America. That's what we do in the Western world. We say, you know, I'm a pretty good person. But what we say through the, the word of God is that your best day and your best effort still is filthy rags before a righteous and holy God. That's what the gospel first says. There's bad news before there's good news. But thanks be to God that Jesus Christ came and he lived a life that we could not live. He lived perfect. And he died in our place. He absorbed sin on our behalf. He took on the punishment, the pain, the sin, the grief. He took all of that on himself when he was at the cross. And when Jesus said it was finished, he really meant it. I took all of this on me because literally you cannot pay for your own sins. We owe a debt that we cannot pay. And God satisfied this through his own son. That's what Jesus is getting at. In other words, you cannot be clean, you cannot be pure without someone else who is helping you doing an inside job. That's where the gospel comes into all that Jesus is constantly talking about. So what what do we know from this? Toxic religion cannot bring real transformation. Our human effort toward producing religious cleanness only ends in glaring hypocrisy. I don't have time to lead us into all that I mean in this, but I would say to you that as we grow older and know the Lord more, we have to become more humble. And if we're not becoming more humble and recognizing just how much that we really need the Lord Jesus, I'm telling you, something is probably forming in our soul that we need to learn how to discard. 
Friends, it is so easy as a Christian to go year after year and just lose the simple truth. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. If you can't say that today with more conviction than you did when you got saved, something is happening in our soul that we need Jesus to help us with. Just because we know him and we've given our heart to him does not mean we don't need him more today than we did then. We do. We need him more now. Because there is just something built up in the human heart that wants to produce this religious pathway that somehow makes us feel like we're better than. We cannot compare ourselves to other people. I can find someone that I'd live a better life than all the time. That's not hard to do. I never highlight a lot of people, though, that live better than I do. Well, you never know how they really live behind closed doors. The scaffolding that we build, they all crumble. And let's not forget, Jesus ministers fairly. He ministers both to the religious and to the rebellious. He says to the religious that you need to stop adding to the Bible. You need to stop comparing yourself to other people. You need to stop trying to prove yourself before me. I've given you the solution. That, that's to the religious. But to the rebellious, he says, you need to be honest. You need to stop finding a, a way out of living a holy life and coming in humility and truth. See, nobody gets out of this. Nobody gets out of this. Sometimes we get a little concerned even talking like this because we don't want anybody who's living a rebellious life to have fuel to continue on in their sin. I want to tell you something that the Holy Spirit is really good at. He's really good at conviction. He's great, in fact. A lot of you are byproducts of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I would tell you that maybe it is we have tried to take his role in his place far too many times. Do we teach principles and wisdom and life in the Spirit how to follow the Word of God? Of course we do. Do we have family values where we teach our children to walk in the way of truth and to know God and to know Him intimately and, and to walk with Him closely? Uh, absolutely, we, we, we need to do that. But I think we can go too far and we need to make sure that we're teaching people how to connect to the one that can lead them for the rest of their life and not be the source of how people need to leave. You know why I think we start down these religious roads where we put burdens on people? Not just the Pharisees, but I think how it happens to us. It's because I want people to walk in a way that is in keeping with what Jesus paid for. That's why. I want, I want people, when I tell people you shouldn't drink, the reason that I do that, and I, I do it unashamedly, I tell people that. I just say it's, the Bible just says don't be drunk. But I tell people, I'm just bearing my soul here, guys. I tell people don't, don't do this because you never know. And I, I, I try to give wisdom to that, but I make sure they know it's, this is what the Bible says, this is what I think. But I just don't want people to be an alcoholic. I don't want people to drive drunk. I don't want something bad to happen. I don't want my children to abuse and misuse. So we start out good. We start out wanting the best for people. And so we often think the best way to help people is to remove the options and to provide a sense of control, which gives safety and security. The problem is if we go too far in that, we end up doing the exact thing that we're trying to keep them from. Only now we've attached it to who God is. And this is what God's like. So the same thing that we're trying to do in keeping people from bad things, sometimes we end up pushing them all the way into another ditch where they still can't see the Lord and His love. And somehow we just have to find Jesus as beautiful, and especially as we think of discipleship, that we stick 
to the sufficiency of Scripture. What He gave us is enough. We teach this. We honor this. We adhere to this. We do our best not to go beyond this in all sincerity and truth. And if we do that, I think we'll stay in the right place. If you agree with that, go ahead and say amen. Amen. Would you stand with me as we close and pray? I was praying over our time together, and I want to close this way very simply. Um, I pray for a lot of people that have been hurt by the church. And maybe it's not fair to say the church, but somebody that represented a church. So it's not really fair to say the whole church, but I pray for a lot of people that have had a parent or a pastor or a leader or a church environment that has wounded them in some way. And yes, sometimes it is our perception. And maybe it wasn't exactly the way that we remember it. Or maybe we weren't mature enough to hear things that we needed to hear uh, the way that was intended. But irregardless of that, the fact is, is that we can get hurt. And it pushes us away from the Lord. And I, I very much care about this next generation. I care about every generation. But I want everyone to know and to walk with God um, in a way that he, he is worthy of. I just don't want to get in the way. It's why I pray almost every week, Lord, help my words to fall to the ground. I might say some things that don't need to be in the hearts of your people, and I don't deserve that place, but I want your words to convict. And if they make us feel comfortable, great. He's a comforter. But if they make us feel uncomfortable, oh, give us a holy irritation, whatever your will is, but let it be you and not me. I don't want to get in the way of that, but I know that many have gotten in the way of what God wants to do. Maybe I have sometimes. Maybe I have more than I want to admit. But I would tell you this, God's the healer of our hearts. And he wants lament to be over and he wants to set our feet on solid ground. And he wants to help us turn the corner and not project our past experience into our current reality. So if you came here today and you have something in your past that did not represent Jesus well, and it's irritating you, it's bothering you, it's It's causing a a projection of sorts onto maybe what God has for you. And he he wants to change that. He wants to heal that. Um, I believe he can start that today. He can finish that today if he desires. But we need to pray into that. And so if you would bow your head for a moment and just close your eyes to honor the presence of God, not just my requests. So if you're in this room or you're online and, and you need God to heal a misrepresentation of your past, you need God to touch that area and to really just cleanse those feelings and those thoughts that are associated with that. I'm telling you, the Lord can do that. We can't. He can. If that's what you need today, would you just acknowledge to me, I'm, I'm looking at you, just acknowledge by raising your hand, I'm looking at you right now. Just keep your hand up for about five seconds. Many of us all over the room, you need God to heal you. Lord, I, I want you to touch my heart today. I need to be separated from whatever that was, this misrepresentation. I need to be set on a proper foundation, which is the Word of God. Thank you, Lord. So all over this room, we pray. Father, we thank you uh, that you're full of healing today. We pray that you would come in power. I pray, Lord, that in our soul, you would cleanse that area that has been impacted and affected, where there's a misrepresentation of Jesus, of your character, of your word, of your ways. God, I pray that you would just cleanse us of the past Take that bookmark out of the story of our life and help us to move on in a way where we love you and we serve you. And Lord, if we're even hesitant or apprehensive to getting involved in this church because of something that we came from, 
Lord, I pray that those days would be over and we would find ourselves in family in this place, that we would get rooted and grounded and we would grow and bear much fruit. I pray that nothing would hinder us in that regard and all that you have for us and for our families. Father, thank you for your blessing today and that you are the one that makes us clean. You are the one that makes us clean. And also, just in this moment, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord, I want to say to you that you can't make yourself clean. You can't clean yourself up before you come to God. You come to God and He cleans you up. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you don't know if you're forgiven of your sin, you don't know that you're really going to be with Him for the rest of your life, you're just not sure, but you just happen to be here today, I want to I tell you this. As the gospel is very clear, Jesus died for all, that if you come to him with faith and repentance, that you turn from our way of life, we do that, and we turn to Jesus, he makes all things new. He doesn't just clean up our life, he gives us a brand new life. That's what he wants to do in you today. So after I close, the pastors and prayer partners will be up front, and I'm asking you not just to raise your hand, I'm, I'm asking you to make a courageous step and come forward and say, Pastor Ben, that's me. I want to pray today and give my life to Jesus. I want to start fresh. I want to start clean. I'm trying to clean my life up, but I can't do it. I've tried. But Jesus can do it for us. That's literally why he came. So come forward today. So Lord, bless your people. Thank you. If that's any of us, thank you for your conviction, your encouragement. Thank you, Lord. May we be born again, whoever that might be. We thank you today in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org, or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.